the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Russia announces retreat from the Ukrainian regional capital of Kyrgyzstan. It's a big defeat for the the Russians. Um, This was the largest uh, city that they had claimed. The Senate race between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock heads to a runoff. Our forecast, our final forecast, actually said that if this race were to go to a runoff, then Walker would have the edge 69% of the time. Stocks drop sharply as election uncertainty persists. I do still expect one big flush before we are done with this bear market. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, November 10th. I'm Mike Scott. On Wednesday, reports surfaced that Russia has begun a full retreat from the major Ukrainian city of Kyrgyzstan, signaling a strategic setback for Russian President Vladimir Putin. Bloomberg Media's Maria Tadeo reports on what is known so far on the Russian retreat. Very significant in many ways, symbolically, but also geographically. As you said, Kherson was one of the very few areas where the Russian army had been able to maintain and sustain large-scale occupation in Ukraine. At this point, the Russian army is not advancing. It's stuck defending positions. And if this news uh, is confirmed, the Russian army has now been told to exit Kherson. In this case, they're pulling back. The optics uh, from this, in theory, would be very bad for the Kremlin. And yet again, and bad news for the Russian army. It also feeds into the narrative that we had over the past uh, couple of days where Russian flags had been taken down of, blo- of uh, public buildings in uh, Kherson and some of the checkpoints had disappeared. But I also do want to say, I want to stress, there is no confirmation from the Ukrainian side on this yet. Yesterday, there was uh, a message rather cryptic from President Zelensky on Instagram, which said, uh, we know what the enemy is up to, but we will continue our counteroffensive. But again, Again, just waiting for that confirmation from the Ukrainian uh, side instead of uh, w- what is going on, because there had been concerns, too, that potentially this was a strategic move and a trap for mm. the Ukrainian army. So it is also important to get the confirmation from the other side. Moscow's defense minister allegedly gave the order, along with the commander of the Russian forces in Ukraine. If reports appear to be true... The Russian withdrawal could be a significant moment in the war since Ukrainian forces took back regions in northern Kharkiv back in September. However, Ukrainian officials have remained skeptical that Russian forces had left the West Bank altogether. Brian Clark, a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, joined News Nation and says that right now this appears to be a huge loss for Russia. 
it's a big defeat for the the Russians. Um, this was the largest uh, city that they had claimed. Uh, they've lost 50% of the territory that they had gained during the war thus far. So losing Kherson, the biggest capital, the capital of one of the four regions that they illegally annexed, uh, it's a big deal. Um, also, uh, once they go across the, the Dnieper River, um, they're back in a place where it's going to be very difficult to maintain that land bridge to Crimea that they've been uh, prioritizing because it enables them to move troops and material directly from Russia to Crimea without having to use the Kursk Bridge, which was recently damaged during the uh, truck bomb attack, uh, as we know, last month. So it really is an important region for them to hold. Um, and as they move across the river, give up Kherson, they're going to be able to consolidate their lines and try to become more uh, capable defensively. Uh, it'll slow the Ukrainian advance, but it's, it's a big blow to the Russian offensive. Clark explains why he believes that the West may start to pressure Ukraine to negotiate with Russia. Well, I think they're going to be encouraged to continue to press the offensive. The Ukrainians are the counteroffensive against Russia. So it seems like they're going to be less willing to negotiate after this success. Um, I suspect, though, that the U.S. and allies are going to continue to press them to uh, go to the negotiating table because what's going to happen is the, the continued offense is going to be difficult. They're going to have to move across the river now under fire, which makes it difficult for the Ukrainians to continue that, that move towards the east. Uh, and also, uh, Russia has made very clear that they consider Crimea and some of these eastern territories to be part of Russia. They might react much more uh, in a much more escalatory fashion if they the Ukrainians continue their offensive. So I think there's going to be a lot of problems for Ukraine if they continue to move east even after they've taken Kherson. And I think the West is going to try to get uh, the Ukrainians to negotiate to avoid Russia escalating in response. Clark theorizes what steps Russian troops may take next. At this point, it's just a matter of trying to consolidate their defenses, hold what territory they can, and try to seek a settlement that maybe keeps the territory that they've gained in Russian hands, uh, and then uh, try to end the conflict on those terms and make a frozen conflict that they can choose to restart later. Taking a look at the midterms with control of the House and Senate still a bit up in the air, one thing is certain. The battle for Georgia's Senate seat is headed for a runoff. Neither Democrat Senator Raphael Warnock nor Republican challenger Herschel Walker were able to capture 50 percent of the vote, triggering that runoff. Alex Samuels of 538 explains why the Georgia Senate race is heading toward that runoff. So in the Georgia Senate race, what made this uh, contest a little more complicated was the presence of a third party candidate on the ballot. Um, so Libertarian Chase Oliver essentially prevented uh, Democrat Senator Raphael Warnock or Republican Herschel Walker from reaching the 50 percent threshold needed uh, to win outright. Plus, this race was always just going to be more competitive than the Georgia Senate race, uh, to be frank. Um, I think our forecast had the Senate race has a dead heat, but in the governor's race, Kemp had a clear edge and he was able to um, oust Stacey Abrams uh, quite easily yesterday. Samuels goes on to describe what they expect next. Historically, Republicans do better in Georgia runoff races. Um, but in 2021, of course, we saw the opposite of that. Warnock did win, win his race, um, as did fellow Georgia uh, Senator John Ossoff, in part because former President Donald Trump discouraged his voters from trusting Georgia's electoral process. But then on top of that, we saw a really concerted effort among Democrats to get their voters out to the polls. And that really helped both Democrats win their respective races. I think, you know, whether we see some of the same trends this year will depend on whether Georgia determines the outlook of the Senate as it did last year. Samuels believes, in her opinion, Walker has a growing edge heading into a runoff. 
Herschel Walker comes in with like a lot of warts as a candidate and we didn't necessarily see those same scandals that we did in 2021. Um, so I think if it does come down to that 4950 and Georgia again determines which party controls the Senate, we're going to see a ton of money going into this race, you know, expect every surrogate from out of the woodwork to come out to the peach state. But, you know, based on what happened in 2021, I want to say that Warnock might have an edge, but our forecast, our final forecast actually said that if this race were to go to a runoff, then Walker would have the edge 69% of the time. Which party controls Congress will be the determining factor on whether President Biden will able to get any part of his remaining agenda passed. With a GOP majority, Republicans have stated that they were likely to launch investigations into Biden, his family, and his administration if they take power. Speaking with reporters, Biden says that Republicans who want to investigate to him are a comedy. Lots of luck in your senior year, as my coach used to say. Look, um, I think the American public wants to move on and get things done for them. And, uh, you know, I heard that there were, uh, it was reported, whether it's accurate or not, I'm not sure, but it was reported many times that Republicans were saying, and the former president said, how many times are you going to impeach Biden? You know, impeachment proceeding against Biden. I mean, I think, the re- I think the American people will look at all of that for what it is. It's just I'm uh, almost comedy. I mean, it's, uh, but, you know, look, I can't control what they're going to do. All I can do is continue to try to make life better for the American people. When confronted with the polling results that says two-thirds of Americans are unhappy with the direction of the country from the president's desk, Biden says he still would not do anything different. Nothing, because they're just finding out what we're doing. The more they know about what we're doing, the more support there is. Do you know anybody who wants us to get rid of the change we made on prescription drug prices and raise prices again? Do you know anybody who wants us to walk away from building those roads and bridges and, and the Internet and so on? I don't, I, I don't know. Any, I think that the problem is the major piece of legislation we passed, and some of it bipartisan, takes time to be recognized. Meantime, with many races still left uncalled, any GOP investigations into the Biden administration or family may have to be put on hold for now. Looking at races that still have not been called, Steve Kornacki breaks down ways Republicans or Democrats could still take control of the House. The issue of House control, who would have thought we'd be talking about this as an open question now the night after the election? But here's where things stand. Big picture, this is the NBC News model for the House. 218 seats needed for uh, control. We have the Republicans right now in our model landing at 222 seats, which would be a narrow majority. But the key here, of course, is that is plus or minus seven seats. So what that means is the high range for Democrats remains 220. So there are still scenarios. There's far more scenarios where Republicans land in control of the House. But there remain scenarios where Democrats actually end up with control. Kornacki breaks down the great night Republicans had, for example, in New York state. 
One thing that stands out on this list, four of them are from New York State, including that NY17 that you see right there. That's Sean Patrick Maloney, the chair of the DCCC. The DCCC, by all measures, had a historically incredible night. And yet, ironically, its chairman loses in his own district, and four Democrats, four Democratic seats, have flipped to the Republicans in New York State. That's a consequence, it may be, of the governor's race, while Kathy Hochul won her Republican opponent Lee Zeldin ran up huge margins outside of New York City. Kornacki describes the narrow path that would let Democrats hold on to control of the House. Where else can Democrats gain seats? And again, what you notice, one, two, three, four. There are five California districts here with Republican, Republican-held California districts. Democrats are probably going to need to defend all of the, if they want to get the House, are going to have to defend all of their California seats and start flipping. They're going to need to flip the third district. They're going to need to flip the 22nd district. They're going to need to flip the 27th district. They're going to need to flip the 41st. They're going to need to flip the 45th. Now, again, as I say, these vote counts take long time. We can see late shifts in these things. It's really hard to characterize a lot of these California races right now. But Democrats would need to get those. Kornacki and other reporters are now taking a special look into the race of Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, Colorado. Colorado's third district, Lauren Boebert, and look at that. It's hard to get more even than that. Wow. A 73 vote difference right now between Adam Frisch, the Democrat, and Lauren Boebert, the Republican. I know that almost uh, sort of symbolically, there are a lot of Democrats who would like to defeat Lauren Boebert, but in terms of the math of the House, this becomes critical, given everything I've showed you before. Democrats need to light up. They're, they're probably not going to be able to light up everything here, but they need to light up just about everything on this list I'm showing you right here. They need to defend just about everything on this list that I'm showing you here, including all of those California seats. And that is the kind of combination where Democrats could land at 218, 219 seats. We here at the Daybreak Insider podcast will continue to follow election coverage in the coming days. There is no question that Tuesday night was a great night for Republicans in Florida. The GOP made monumental gains in the Sunshine State, led by incumbent Governor Ron DeSantis, who swept aside opponent Democrat Charlie Crist in a landslide. DeSantis's victory is believed to be the most lopsided in Florida history with a gap that eclipsed Donald Trump's own Sunshine State win in 2020. The Florida governor seemed to do the impossible, turning the once solidly blue counties like Miami-Dade into red. Other Republican candidates like Senator Marco Rubio were able to get swept up in that momentum, carrying them to landslide victories of their own. After such large wins, some Republicans have started to suggest that it should be Ron DeSantis, not former President Donald Trump, that takes the GOP mantle to run for president in 2024. Liz Peek is a Fox News contributor and says right now DeSantis is the leader in the clubhouse for the Republican Party. Ron DeSantis is the winner. He didn't just win Florida. He completely wiped away Democrat opposition in Florida. It was an incredible win, not only uh, statewide, but in uh, Miami-Dade County, which I got to check on this, 
seven points went for Biden uh, in 2020. Palm Beach County, 13 points. Biden win in 2020. And uh, basically, DeSantis won both of those uh, counties very well. Peek says that DeSantis's youth gives him an edge. And she believes, in her opinion, GOP voters may be looking to transition to the next generation. Also, I love the headline in the post that you mentioned, because young is the operative young. word, okay? I think both parties are looking for a transition to the next generation. Uh, in, our, in the Republican Party, I think DeSantis is now de facto the leader uh, because he has a great message. He appeals to the Trump base. And by the way, Trump going after DeSantis, is he really going to want to scorch his reputation, lose his standing amongst people who believe in his policies, but who also believe that his moment has passed? Michael Goodwin is the chief political columnist for the New York Post and says that Donald Trump's best contributions to the Republican Party may be behind him. But I just think that his best contributions are behind him. I, I don't think he has... Uh, Excuse me. I don't think he has the draw anymore. I think that the Democrats have done a good job of of tainting him with January 6th. I think that all of the suits against him, all of the uh, pending prosecutions that I think we're going to see stepped up now once the election is over. I just think he's becoming more of an albatross than Mm -hmm. he is a savior. And uh, look, I could be wrong. But I I think the Trump candidates are not sort of where the Republican Party is. Goodwin goes on to remark how charismatic the Florida governor is. You know, to attack DeSantis after what DeSantis did yesterday. I don't know how many of your viewers, Joe, got to see DeSantis' speech. You can find it on YouTube. Less Less than 10 minutes. You look at that speech and you see, wow. This, yep. is, this is a guy with a future. This is a guy who's got it all going on all cylinders. Um, what he, I mean, no one saw that blowout coming yesterday, right? There's not a poll that predicted he would win by something like 19 points as it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the speech itself was a masterpiece. However, Ron DeSantis has still not announced anything, so any potential 2024 campaign launch is still up in the air. Still, some campaign experts in Florida say that if DeSantis runs, he most likely won't announce formally for quite some time. However, others speculate that if a presidential announcement comes, it would most likely be in May or June of next year. House Minority Whip Steve Scalise announcing a bid to become the next House Majority Leader, as the GOP appears likely to win a narrow majority in the House of Representatives. Daybreak Insider Congressional Correspondent Bernie Bennett has more details today. Scalise said in a letter addressed to his GOP colleagues in the House, quote, As your Majority Leader, I will work relentlessly to usher our vision through the House and show the country how conservative ideas can solve the problems that families are facing. He said he has a proven track record of bringing together a wide range of viewpoints in the GOP to build consensus and pointed to conservative legislative successes like the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 and the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, an updated version of NAFTA signed into law in 2020. Bernie Bennett in Washington. On Wednesday, with control of the House and Senate still up in the air, U.S. stocks took a dive. 
halting a narrow three-day win streak. At the close, the S&P shed 79 points, the Dow dropped 646 points, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq dropped 263 points. Liz Young is head of SoFi Securities and says that while markets are still jittery, the gains prior to the midterms were on shaky ground to begin with. The expectation is usually that after a midterm election, I know Joe will tell you this, after a midterm election, the market usually sighs relief and finds some upside. I'm afraid to say this with Belsky looking right at me, but <laughs> the rally that we've seen up until this point hasn't really made a lot of sense. And what I mean by that is the optimism that I think the market had, whether it was because of some kind of pending Fed pivot, which isn't coming, because of economic strength that I think is waning, now we're in the face of not only a crypto disaster. Young says, in her opinion, while the market sell-off was bad, she sees another big flush before it's all said and done. But announcements that just continue to pile on to one another about layoffs from tech companies that eventually is going to bleed into the labor market in the actual numbers. So we're just starting to get these hints of earnings contractions and economic contractions that I think the market has to really right-size itself before we can get to the other side. So a little pullback here I think is rational. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be the big one. I do still expect one big flush before we are done with this bear market. Meta, Facebook's parent company, has announced massive layoffs. Daybreak Insider's Jennifer King details the numbers. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg shared a message with employees on Wednesday morning saying he decided to reduce the size of the team by about 13 percent and let go more than 11,000 employees. The company will also extend a hiring freeze through the first quarter. Zuckerberg wrote that the surge of e-commerce at the beginning of COVID led to outsized revenue growth, but predictions that there would be a permanent acceleration did not pan out. Not only has online commerce returned to prior trends, he says, but the macroeconomic downturn increased competition and adds losses have caused their revenue to be lower than he expected. I'm Jennifer King. Another social media site's new owner continues to tinker with Twitter. Daybreak Insider's Rich Thomason updates us on the latest changes that Elon Musk is bringing to the social media platform. Twitter has started adding gray official labels to some high-profile accounts, indicating those accounts are the real deal. It's the latest twist in Elon Musk's overhaul of the platform's verification system. Last week, Twitter announced it will offer subscriptions that include the existing blue checkmark for $7.99 a month. Some experts worry that making the checkmark available to anyone for a fee could lead to impersonations and the proliferation of misinformation and scams. Rich Thomason reporting. And finally, once again, NASA is rescheduling the launch of its new moon rocket because of a storm threatening the Florida coast. In the past, fuel leaks have kept the rocket firmly planted on the ground. Then, Hurricane Ian forced the rocket back into its hangar. Last week, a third attempt at launching the rocket was made, only to have it pushed back again because of Tropical Storm Nicole. The mission is to send the empty $4.1 billion rocket around the moon and back in a flight test before astronauts climb on board. 
It is NASA's biggest step yet to get astronauts back to the moon by 2025. John Cangelosi is a senior specialist with the National Hurricanes Center and says Nicole's winds extend as far as 460 miles from the center in some directions. We have no warnings up to the Florida Keys, which are much, much closer to the center. And we have warnings up to South Carolina, which is a good distance from the center. So this is a lopsided system. Cangelosi says Nicole is expected to make landfall early on Thursday morning. Still expecting a landfall along the east coast of Florida, generally, you know, southeast, east central Florida, right, right, in, if you see the cone, right, somewhere in that cone is where the core is going to come ashore. And that's going to happen around the midnight hour, midnight, maybe up to 2 a.m., 3 a.m., sometime around that hour. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.